and welcome to the GVA Legal Podcast. My name is Jean Kambuni and I'm your host. Earlier this year, President William Ruto appointed 50 CASs, but the court nullified their appointment because of lack of public participation. So on today's episode, we'd like to discuss that elephant in the room, at least when it comes to the legislative process in Kenya, public participation. And in studio with me to discuss this topic is Diana Gichango. Diana is the National Coordinator of the Institute for Social Accountability, TISA. Welcome, Diana. Thank you very much, Jen. We're very glad to have you. Lovely to be here. It's a very warm place, by the way. Everybody who is listening, the colors here are lovely. Yeah, we do like to keep it warm. One of these days, we're going to do a visual one so that you can see both me and my guests. But until that day, we're going to continue here on the audio. And to narrow us down into this topic of public participation, I want us to start at the basics, like the 101s. Mm-hmm. Kindly explain to our audience what is public participation and why is it important? Um, Public participation is a principle that allows everybody, every person, um, let me use the context of Kenya, every person in Kenya to remain engaged in the governance processes. And by governance, I mean in decisions of the services they get, the products that are produced, projects around um, we like, as as at TISA, we like to remind people of what happens in residence association. When you want to hire the new guard, everybody is involved in setting the standards of what that guard should be to help watch over our homes, our children. So everybody has views around their skills, their timing, their pay, the background checks that would need to be done. It gives you continued voice after you have surrendered your power as a sovereign to the elected representatives. Um, And it should come at any given process from um, the micro-governance spaces, a dispensary back at home, um, a drainage that is clogged. How do we clear it? You should be able to tell the village administrator, the chief, your ideas. You should be able to tell the police where they stop. Um, when they are controlling traffic is problematic. If they shifted here, it may work better and they try it out. So at the very basic level, it is the principle that allows and for, for use and respect of citizens' voice throughout the governance um, process, governance and development process. I like that you're saying that I have a say in the same way that I have a say in my personal space, in my resident association, in who guards me and, and, and determining who they are, mm-hmm. where the, where they'll be hired from, seeing their background check. I also have a say at the larger um, representation that I get, exactly. who, who governs me, who what kind of credentials do they have, mm-hmm. what type of development are they going to offer me, do I like it, should we do it in a different way? Of course, my opinions will not always be the the ones that are taken on, but at least they should be heard. And I like the difference between, and I think I'm going to use this. So um, a subject and a citizen. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key difference here that we are not subjects. You know, a subject is ruled by a king Mm -hmm. and the king gets to make all the pronouncements. But we are citizens and citizens have certain rights Mm -hmm. and they also have certain responsibilities. And I think public participation is both a right and And a responsibility. responsibility. Actually, that is um, spot on. It is at the core of citizenry. We call it being an active citizen because then you recognize you have your right 
to to be heard, to be served in a certain way, but you have a responsibility. Um, in the current context, part of the responsibility would be to pay tax, but you have a responsibility to inform government how to run um their their affairs. And 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 your your analogy is um spot on because um you're saying subject. A subject is a slave. That is true. A slave follows instructions. A citizen. If you think about it in um the sense of our constitutional architecture, a citizen can issue instructions. We can even recall our members of parliament. We can recall our members of parliament. And with, as we get deeper into public participation, it means when you aggregate citizens' voices, they can no longer be ignored. If they are ignored, there must be consequences because they are citizens, not subjects, not slaves. They have a say consistently and throughout. Think about any process that you would imagine um, that a citizen has no say. The day we decide to contest it properly, we will even have a say whether the president should block certain roads. I love that. To pass. So as long as we have a critical mass that is there's nothing that a citizen cannot do. do. But you've referenced our constitution and I want to bring us back to that. Do we have a legal framework through which public participation happens in Kenya? Or is it, and I'll get to that, is this an amorphous thing? (laughs) We have a constitutional framework. And to be honest, that is where it ends. In the constitution, it starts with Article 1. Also, brain power belongs to the people. And can be exercised by themselves either directly, directly or, or indirectly through their through. representatives. So from Article 1, if you open a book called the Constitution, I am sure if you're perusing, you will read Article 1. Then from there, um, it's then anchored in Article 10 on national values um, and principles of governance. And therein, um, I, I like to quote Article 10 because... We, we need to change. Um, if it was possible, we would even have a national anthem, then a national creed. And the national creed, all there would be there is indoctrinating people with the values and principles in Article 10. Now, within Article 10, one of the values and principles that must be underscored in all national and governance processes by every single state and public official is public participation. And the, the, the principles are not read, you cannot read participation without reading transparency, accountability, inclusivity, non-discrimination, respect for the rule of law. So it guides the framework within which public participation must be undertaken. It actually calls uh, for respect for diversity and responsiveness. It means if my language has no word um, like what tax, we must be responsive to unpack a government policy in a language that that person understands for them to feel included. You then move um, to the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights then creates a framework for how we express ourselves because public participation is a form of expression. 
by the citizen. And you express yourself um, in several ways through, and for you to express yourself first, you must access information. So let's start from Article 31 on access to information. No, that you want first privacy. As you express yourself, we must respect who you are. So whereas it's a responsibility, we won't force you to express yourself in ways that then can offend your human person, your dignity are intrusive. Then there's access to information. I can express myself blindly or based on my human instinct around an issue. Um, let me think of something that is going on currently. Is it the reforms? There are reforms to NHIF. Because of the uh, demands it will have on, <laughs> on our payslips. Yes, yes. So there, I think there's a, there's a process. There, there has been a call for public um, participation. But we have no idea what the proposal is. So we must start by getting information. A second area which um, is there to TISA is debt. If all these Kenyan prob we problems we have in Kenya are being blamed on, on debt, then for a Kenyan to be able to participate, and participation is about creating solutions. And give solution, they must be given the information. How much debt do we have? Exactly. What liabilities are still, are due? still due? When do we need to pay them by? Exactly. What are we doing to make sure? To make sure. Them? What is the plan of uh, paying? How did we get here? How do we forestall? Um, a problem of this magnitude in the future. So you must be given that information. Once you get that information, you can express yourself in writing or orally. So there's freedom of expression. <laughs> and physically or within the digital space. Again, within um, our Bill of Rights, that is very well anchored. We started by saying, public participation and citizens' voice will count when there's critical mass. How do you create critical mass? In the African community, by association. So freedom of association becomes very linked to public participation. That we are associating to express our views, create consensus and voice it. That then cannot be curtailed in the process of public uh, participation. Then as part of it, um, our elected representatives, um, both within the executive and um, the legislature, won't always listen to us. So we must assemble because we are the sovereign. It's we true. have no space in parliament. We have no offices on Harambe Avenue, but we are sovereigns. So we need to assemble. So that also facilitates public participation and um, by, by expressing our voice. From I, I think those would be the highlights. Then the the, the Bill of Rights um, has guidelines for how to be inclusive, not discriminatory, how to cater for special categories, children, um, the elderly, the indigenous, and so on. The land chapter requires public participation. Land is very central to Kenyan, so I can understand yes. why it would be expressly protected. Protected. There. So... After you move from chapter one, where public participation is anchored, uh, chapter two on the Republic, there there is no major mention. The Bill of Rights anchors how we go about public participation. The chapter on um, land, 
than covers, that there must be public participation in all land-related processes, and particularly when addressing historical injustices. injustices. Mm -hmm. So that's the land chapter. In elections, we all participate. You must cast the ballot. You must cast your ballot. You're free to cast it. And uh, we must invest in free, credible um, elections. We should be able to cover everybody. It's the one time where the government knows where everybody is. Ballots get to every corner of this country. It doesn't matter whether there's a famine, there's a flood, somehow the ballots. So if you want to think about the threshold of public participation, it is the election. And in fact, that was going to be my next question. But that, what is the legal threshold for satisfying public participation? Because you have to say that we do have some sort of problem. Yeah. A lot of legislation is passed. It's even gazetted. Mm -hmm. And at the point of implementation, we rush to court. And more often than not, many of the things that have collapsed, especially in terms of legislation, have collapsed on the framework of lack of public, public participation. participation. And so I have to ask, because even with elections, I, I say this um, hesitantly, uh -huh. but what does it mean for me to participate? Does it mean you gave me an opportunity for me to um, participate? And whether or not I did it is really not up, um, up for debate. But because you presented me with an opportunity, it is my loss that I didn't do it. For instance, Talking about elections, mm -hmm. last year was one of the elections in which we had the lowest turnout yeah. and the bulk of the people, in fact, did not vote. Mm. So what do we say? Did they really participate? So what do we call that threshold? Um, so the threshold is for every process that is going on, one, you must be availed equal opportunity to participate from anywhere, from your comfort. And um, if you think about the election, you decide the polling station you vote in. So that becomes part of the threshold that you should be able to participate within the comforts of your work, your home, things like that. But on the question that you have asked, if you skip, mm -hmm. it is not entirely a loss. There is a duty, as has been interpreted by our court, that the state must explain why it is important to participate in that particular process. So for public participation in Kenya to be effective, we must see a government investment in civic education on every process. Government funded. Not, oh, did civil society come? It ought to be government funded. And if you recall, Jen, in, um, during the constitutional moment, 2008, 2007, there was a, from two, was it from, I think the entire period of 2002, they established a Kenya National Initiative on Civic Education, KENICE, that was run by the State Department of Justice, just that, that, that one. I justice. remember there used to be a state department that dealt with justice. Justice. In fact, there's even a justice ministry at one point. Yes. So it was anchored in the justice ministry. They rolled out a whole program of public education around processes. That is when um, all these things of social audits around budgets, how to get uh, people's input into processes, it opened up. Remember? During that period, in addition to the economy being stable, because people felt they were being hard on things that they 
clearly understood, Kenyans were at their happiest. That's actually true. We had the <laughs> highest level of civic competence at that particular point in time. I think you couldn't walk around and no one knew what was happening. Was happening we were exactly. Very clear. Exactly. So um on that's 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 one of the standards of uh public participation. It should be available, but the state must um provide all the needed information to enable uh people uh to participate um meaningfully. Meaningfully. Then secondly is the biggest excuse is at the national level especially there's no law the constitution ordinarily is um implemented through legislation both the senate and the national assembly are yet they have had draft public participation bills that were tabled um this was one of the areas where we ought to have closed it within 5 years because we needed a framework for people to remain engaged but we do not have a framework Parliament does have guidelines of how people participate but it does not have the force of statute. However, mm-hmm. that is not an excuse to not implement the constitution. As we have seen, our courts understand and read the constitution. They have had arguments and they have set certain thresholds. So lack of a legal framework is not an excuse not to implement a constitutional value and a constitutional principle in um that particular regard then um it must be real and that is why i'm going back to the threshold in my own understanding based on the interpretation of the of the of the of the court um it must be real not illusory um like you most of the times government official they have already determined the end so they they manipulate the process they decide we know Jane will say yes and can agree with our statement or we'll feed her with this information and she's the only one who will speak in that particular forum or we will even bring 10 people when she speaks we will clap so hard you get yes. it must be real, real not um an illusion So on that on that particular basis we must be genuine about we are coming here to get views. We must we might have started with this hypothesis but once we hear the views we must act on them. So you see the ballot everybody takes casts their vote. They are all counted. Whether they are for whether they are against even if they are spoiled yes. we know. We know. Then based on that It, de- it determines the electoral outcomes um i won't get into whether our electoral system is soundproof no, but or in not. principle i understand where you're going with yes. this that when i come to participate there has to be um in law we have a maxim that says justice must no must not only be done but it must be, be seen, seen to, to be, be done. done yes and that i think is the same with public participation mm-hmm. if you walk into a process and you can tell that this person is not listening to what i'm saying yes. in fact they've already predetermined the mm-hmm. outcome mm-hmm. we are here just to tick a box that they said that we met you yeah. it doesn't matter what i said mm-hmm. then i will not feel that i meaningfully participated in fact i feel manipulated and yes. used yes and so there's a likelihood of that happening mm-hmm. and also it's on the government as the bearer of all the responsibilities yes. to open up the space for meaningful participation, participation where they have not predetermined an outcome mm-hmm. and where they're responsive to the feedback that they receive from the people 
even if it is negative to the position that they had previously thought exactly. to have. In fact, you call it a hypothesis. Which <laughs> <laughs> can be proven yes. or disproven. Yes. So it, 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 if, if we were to get that particular, um, if that was to become the attitude of government, we wouldn't be seeing all these um, contestations we, we've seen. Now, the other thing about it is it has to be purposeful and meaningful. Remember, you stated very clearly, public participation is for the citizen. Now, the minute you're an elected representative, you're, pub- you're not doing public participation. You're doing representation. And that was one of the things that came out loudest from the Supreme Court decision around BPI. BPI. And I was waiting to get there because that also collapsed on public participation. I had certain critical questions such as, can a bid to change the constitution be initiated by the head of the republic as a private citizen? (laughs) Um, No. 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 As long as you're president, you're doing, as you said, representation. Exactly. So public participation is not for you. No. It is for the people who do hold all the power and sovereignty. Exactly. For they have already surrendered. You have so much space. Because when you think about public participation, be it BBI and the CAS, you frame the issue. How then do you say you're coming to participate? And you're the one who has framed the framework for which we are, we are, we are participating um, around. The taxation, you can't be at the same level as with the citizen. You have so much resource, skill, you also have a 360 view. View of it, exactly. So um, that is one of the fundamental things that shifted during that particular process. The same could be applied um, and was applied in the Huduma number case mm-hmm. where public participation again was thrown out. It cannot just be driven by chiefs saying they struggle uh, to get documents and, and things like that. No. That's only one side of the equation. It is one side of the equation. And when you think about the power metrics of a citizen, they're not citizen. The minute you have an additional responsibility, then you have room to influence things differently. And you cannot therefore occupy the space that ought to be for the public because you already have so much leeway. Um, I participated in the... Um, in the finance um, bill now act of 2023 process. And to be honest, we were there for a whole day. Our wait was not made easier by the fact that the PS housing decided to show up. Being a state officer, they were given priority to voice their Their opinion. Their opinion before the committee. This is um, despite having had a show for three hours the previous day. I'm sure they informed Treasury in detail. So when they occupy that particular space, their participation is not the same as the citizen. And they take away critical time because the architecture of state power, statecraft, gives them an upper hand. Even in a democracy of devolved government like ours, the culture is yet to shift. So our judiciary has been pushing us in the direction of respecting 
that sovereign through and through um, that that we must give everybody a reasonable um, opportunity to be had. And this must be accompanied by reasonable notice and reasonable opportunity. And I think those are very critical things that you've said. Not only must we be informed, so that's the first point. You cannot meaningfully participate if you do not have the right information. Mm-hmm. You need a critical mass, mm-hmm. especially when you have weighty issues yeah. that need um, many voices to validate an opinion that might be contrary to one that is held mm-hmm. by the state mm-hmm. in some instances. Yes. So you need a critical mass of citizens to be able to voice it. Then you also need reasonable notice. notice. You cannot tell me in two days we're going to have a public participation hearing I also have other responsibilities that I have. And also I need to prepare adequately in mm-hmm. order to be able to respond in with 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 good meaning and with good reason to the the uh, the, the proposal that you have leveled. Left. Then finally I need reasonable opportunity. So it cannot be that we all come and your stakeholders mm-hmm. are now public participation. Yeah. You, another government ministry is not the public. No. It is part of your um your team. Your you team. should have you should have personal meetings on that. Then yeah. when you've agreed, yeah. come to us with a consolidated proposal exactly. and we can participate. But um I like those as principles of meeting a threshold for public participation. However, you've gratefully said that we don't have a legal framework through which we do public participation. But I know that TISA has proposed a model public participation bill. What would be, if you'd call them, the three most important provisions that you would need or that need to be there in a public participation bill that would be able to hold all arms of government to account and to be able to create a good framework for us as citizens to participate? Okay, a good... um a good public participation f- um, framework must give a full effect to transparency, accountability, and um, now participation. So first is the framework must allow for adequate information that is understandable, widely disseminated. So first you give the information. Once you've given the information, the framework must allow for everybody to participate within the comf- their comfort. The TISA model borrows um, or informs or is informed by the Maku anyone. Public participation must start with the idea, the seed. Um, nowadays we're in a theocracy. Public participation should start at the point of deciding what are we going to plant. So you must ensure that participation is not at the tail end. Participation must start from the beginning. I don't want to use the CS because they're so outright illegal. (laughs) And again, it's the constitution. So honestly, I don't even know why we wasted time. Let's go with the budgets and finances. (laughs) Because I feel like that would be a better way for us to think about public participation from the beginning as opposed to from the end. When you've already made a decision that would count as a roadside declaration and you're coming to inform us at the tail end. Exactly. So let's talk about budgets Mm -hmm. because every government must run on a budget. Yes. And the budget is known. Mm -hmm. Um, The development needs are known also, especially if we're in a county. We have county integrated development plans. Mm -hmm. So we know what our expenditure ought to be. Yes. So we're going to start 
public participation, I like that the framework asks for us to begin at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So we would start with being part- uh, participants in the development of the development but, but plan. Plan, yes. You The development plan set priorities. If you ask any Kenyan, um, the current priorities are of better are digital infrastructure. There is health in there. Then there is um, agriculture, value addition and so on, entrepreneurship, and uh, is a fifth one. Are those, whose priorities are they? The government's priorities. You didn't decide them. Exactly. So at that level, it becomes very, very problematic. And it is good to have the macro framing of priorities, but because the budget is one big book that allows us to write. If you studied the budget, you ought to understand every village. So we should get a way of defining priorities from the village. At the bare minimum, the word for both the national and county government. That then is collated to the development plan. Once that is collated in there, we then get like an expert analysis. These priorities would cost us death. So far, this is the revenue we have. Because part of the crisis we have is all we do is, even just within government, everybody sets their priorities, nobody rationalizes. So once we set the priorities, we must come back to reset them, reprioritize based on available resources. resources. So again, the public must be incorporated into this process so that then they do not have unrealistic expectations, expectations. of government that exactly. will be able to deliver a massive road through whole, the whole of Kenya from Turkana all the way down to Lamu, yet there are no resources. Exactly. And it would it would have a very it, it would be a very good discussion. Do we want a road or for the, the school competition to remain so that our children then people will say A B C D. Let me tell you what that does. That particular level of public participation would mean everybody understands their priorities so much. The sacrifices that had to be made for us to prioritize education over a road. So we know why we are on a rough road. That way, you won't be judging government harshly and saying say they've not. Knowing full well that actually they're doing their very best. And in fact, what we needed to happen is happening. Yes. But secondly, nobody will touch a single penny of the education money that we sacrificed as a priority for other things. So it raises the bar so high for transparency and accountability. Why? Because we understand this is a road that we decided must be built. We were even told this is a thickness. People audit and ask the questions very well. So that level of information throughout the process. Then um, thirdly is, um, so so we've indicated they must have information be in, involved from the, the beginning. beginning. Mm-hmm. They must be supported to understand and rationalize. Otherwise, public participation will be a big assembly. Our parliament barely agrees. So if all of us come together, it, public participation must also have a process of consensus building. And that consensus building must be be driven by um, the purposefulness of genuineness, and 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 it, and it must be built um, on on trust. 
at the point of um, now developing the actual budget and revenue estimate, that must be scrutinized. The budget process is usually very tight. It has very, very tight timelines. timelines. This is a law firm. Maybe they, they, they have resources, they are tax um, and audit firms. Um, I run on a, an organization where we do submissions around budget. But when we are doing submissions around budget, Jane, we do not sleep, we do not eat. Because we can barely peruse 20% of that particular write-up. So I do I I I I have gotten into this space after dealing with um, legislation and um, general human rights and good governance um, advocacy. And the time I had, if you give me three weeks to analyze a bill, I'll have gotten views, all the good practices locally and out there. But the budget process. I doubt we have ever gotten it right when it comes to public participation. It means every single ministry, agriculture, by the time they are setting their priorities, there must be a prior public participation. So that by the time it comes to finance, it's very, very, very nuanced. Yes. <laughs> How many farmers have participated in that particular process? So the reasonableness, that's one area we will have to create a lot a public participation framework must be innovative and innovative in um, favor of the right. I want to call public participation a right in favor of the highest enjoyment of public participation. That means if we missed, we got it wrong at the point of budget estimate, we must be given enough opportunity for the budget and appropriation committee to correct that. Now, a good public participation framework must be linked directly to the decisions of the legislature. Because whereas both the judiciary, um, the executive and the um, independent commission, all of them have an obligation to um, undertake and respect public participation. A higher duty is placed on the legislature. Parliament and county assemblies. They have a very high duty because they are the direct representatives, representatives of the people. Yes. So in the exercise of their mandate, they are required to continually undertake public, public participation. How can you be a good representative if you don't know what I want? Exactly. Yes, so that's the principle. So a good it. public participation framework must have ways of directing, directly informing elected representatives and measuring their level of engagement with the public with the public and respect for the views that for they the receive. views that the public gives them using the current process the members of parliament ought to have gone to their representatives created polls all the mileage they get at the core of the process the budget uh, parliament is a controller of the national pass. They ought to have gotten views and have a way of collating. This is what I got from my constituency. On that basis, this is the position I am taking. 
if we had such a framework, we would immediately do away with the monopoly and the domination of parliament by the executive. Because most of the public participation is frustrated because parliament is not independent. Parliament decides to take party positions as opposed to the to the position of their bosses, the people. If you think about all the issues that are controversial in parliament, and as a mere human being has a, very likely the same need as a Kenya Kwanzaa human, human being. being. So parliament um, and part of their responsibility is to debate and resolve critical issues. So we should not be having a bipartisan discussion or things like that. If parliament did their work and had a public participation framework. So when, when the constitution came in um, and, and because we, we were taught by the same teacher, when Utaha explained this, I was like, oh, when this comes in, I will expect a portal or a place where we go and, and we give submit our, our views. views. The MP carries them in a truck and takes them to parliament. Parliament and reads them. Right? Reads them. Then, then defends present. them. Represents us. Well, that was not the reality. So a good public participation model must inform the quality of representation that we get. I don't know whether I have covered. Anything. I think you've covered, you've covered more than three things. You've talked about accessibility. So, uh, and I feel like that's the last thing that you've spoken about, mm -hmm. a way that I'm able to access my elected representative. You've spoken about um, an earthwire, if I can call it that, that the elected representative must continually be alive to the issues that are there in his or her place of representation. Mm -hmm. So to them, for the, they must always be aware of what the, the people's needs are, the challenges, yeah. their demands, and they must co um, then come and convey those to parliament. He's spoken about um, the fact that public participation cannot be tokenist. It has to happen from the beginning of a process mm -hmm. and that it must be um, repetitive. So if, for instance, in the budget process, um, one ministry before they table their wish list to <laughs> treasury must also have participated with their um, core sector representatives and stakeholders mm -hmm. and gotten their views, their priorities, and then brought them back. And then yes. there has to be this back and forth process of rationalizing what we can do versus what we want to do exactly. based off of the realities of our situation and their financials, finances that we have available to us. So I feel like we have covered all of those. Okay. Now, Public participation has not been all bad. So let me tell, tell me just one good thing that has happened with public participation in the past, in Kenya, as a growing democracy. What benefit have we gotten from this principle of public participation? Hmm. I, I think um, public participation is the strongest oversight institution that has remained um, consistently. There are certain issues, even when they are passed um, in um, a bullish or a forceful manner, there's a certain level of um, safeguard that comes from um, public participation. Public participation informed the setting up of the first offices under the Constitution, 2010. It was good to see the vetting of police, um, the setting up of the first cabinet, experts, it shaped, it gave us um, a sense of character or ethos that we would have wanted for ourselves. 
public participation um i keep i keep saying it is the strongest oversight because public participation and thereafter the determination of the court is a reason why we did not become a proper security state after the 2014 security laws amendment it is the reason combined again with um defense um of of fidelity to the rule of law we do not have 50 cases in the last um finance bill there are several things that we were able to push back not to the level that we would have um wanted so around um the 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 requirement to deposit a fee before you can file um an appeal against the tax tribunal that was just strong pushback in this particular process though it has been adjudicated before so that strengthened um the the the, the process people may may not um know but the actual huduma bill was killed by public participation the pushback was so strong that parliament and and luckily i think also that it was close to the election people knew this is crunch time slaughter time it is it is the when we are separating the the chaff from the wheat um so it helped to defeat a very um a, a law that would have had um serious hitches public participation has contributed significantly um to defending devolution and the money allocation the national government has always wanted to hold back the process like that we have ended on this note that public participation is the direct representation and the direct way you can access that statement in the constitution that says we the people So be the people is what public participation is. And that brings us to the end of this episode. I'd like to thank my guest Diana. Thank you Diana so much for coming to be with us and give us this conversation and give us your knowledge and your experience. Thank you very much for having me and I hope we the people continue to rise. We are our strongest allies. We are our strongest defenders. If we keep relying on other people, um it has been proven they do not always have our interest at at heart at power um so let's continue exercising our direct voice as citizens for direct good. voice as citizens shall be exercised thank you again for joining us in the gba um, legal podcast i'm your host jin kambuni tell us what you think about this episode in the comment section of our social media pages or on email our email address is info@gvalawfirm.com you can also follow gikera and badgama advocates on social media you can find us on linkedin twitter instagram and facebook as gva law firm thank you again for joining us on the gva legal podcast <laughs>